find a seat. Hope that you're all having a good Father's Day so far, and hopefully it only gets better from here. So this last weekend, uh, we had a leadership retreat with the leadership of the church, and we were away for the weekend working on the vision of the church moving forward and trying to figure out what God was calling us to and where he was calling us to go. And so because I was kind of busy with that, I invited one of my best friends to come and preach this morning. It's Josh Whippy, who's a pastor at Pioneer Christian Fellowship. Would you welcome him? You ever see, uh, back in the day, there was a, they had the little My Buddy doll. You ever hear that? It was like a little, a little doll that for boys, it was called My Buddy, and it would say, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever he goes, he goes. And that's how I feel with me and John, because he's so tall and I'm so short. <clears throat> I feel like it's the I, my buddy routine. Well, hey, if uh, you've never met me before, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors in Arcade uh, Pioneer Christian Fellowship. We are also at Elam Church. I've been there for 15 years, believe it or not, which is wild. So um, somebody asked me why I was here today. I said I, was, I heard there was a position open, and I was going, no. Uh, the truth is, uh, John, like Pastor John asked me to come speak, and I'm like, sure, yeah, I can come speak. And then he said it was Father's Day. I'm like, Wow. Father's Day message, that's a, that's a little different, and I just want to start off by first saying to all the dads in the room, happy Father's Day. Can we honor them this morning? Dads, will you stand? Can you stand, guys, if you're a father? Yeah, come on, give it up for these guys. Awesome. Awesome, thank you. I want to say this real quick, I feel like this just came from the Lord, that the success of this church reaching the community is, by, is going to be from fathers. I actually believe that there's going to be a revival of fathers in the coming days. I believe that we are so desperate and hungry for fathers in this society that the Lord, that's going to be the next revival, is a revival of fathers. I wanted to, uh, to say, it's kind of funny, Father's Day is weird because Father's Day messages, I don't know how many guys have been in church for a long time, but if you've been in there, if you've been a part of Christianity, it feels like Father's Day messages are like, come on, dads, suck it up, man up, be a man, you can do it, you stink, right? That's how it feels sometimes. And then Mother's Day, in contrast, Mother's Day is like, we love you, you're so great, you're so wonderful, here's some chocolate, right? And I, I always wonder, what, what is the reason for that? I think part of it is because guys like a challenge. We enjoy having a challenge. And the truth is, some of you guys, you say you don't like a challenge, but some of the stupidest things you've done in your life were because somebody dared you to. I mean, that's how I almost got kicked out of Elon Bible Institute is because of a dare, right? I wanted a challenge. But I think what the truth is, is that as Christians, sometimes we're so focused on the surface stuff. It's easy to look at the surface stuff without going deep. It's easy just to focus on that stuff. It's like, it would be like screaming at having burn damage from a fire, but you're not addressing the fire. It's like you're upset with the symptoms, but you're not going to go looking for the disease. So this morning, I wanted to do something a little different. I believe that we cannot father men here in the room that stood, or even men who are about to be fathers, or even spiritual fathers, or we cannot father correctly if we do not know the Father. If we do not know Him or us or how we fit into this role, we can't be good dads. 
Because the highest level, the highest expression of fatherhood is God. That is, that is the highest. Like, what is fatherhood? Look at God. And fathers, you've been designed by God to reflect that, to duplicate that as a dad. That's what you are meant to do. But how can we do that if we don't really know the father and if we don't really know who we are in that? How can we, how can we give what we don't have? I think it's funny, if you look at the life of Jesus, you know, what, if you were to try to say, what was his theology when he came? When he lived here on earth, and he preached, and he spoke, and he talked to us, what was his theology? Was it doctrinal? Like, was it saying, you must do this, you must do this, you must, we know that's not true. In fact, he had a father theology, a relationship between him and the father, that's what Jesus preached while he was on this earth. He didn't, he didn't have, you mean to shape up, you need to do this, you need to do that. If you do this, this, and this, then, then God will love you. No, it was all about relationship to a loving father and seeing himself as the beloved son. And that's what he told us to do. In fact, he constantly talks about this relationship between him and the Father. It says in the Gospels, if you go through, it's about 70 times that he refers to God as the Father and about 25 times to us as the children of God. In contrast, in the Old Testament, there's only around 15 references that can say the same. If anything, it's about Israel being the son. But Jesus says, you're a son, you're a daughter of him. Of, of the Lord, which is radical. It's a radical change. The disciples even asked him, like, they're trying to look for the doctrinal. Like, we always want, what, what are the steps I need to do? And they asked Jesus, well, how do we pray? And did he give them the step-by-step -step thing? Well, you first you need to do this, and then you need to do that. No, it starts off simply by saying, our Father. We can see how in intensely focused he was and how radical it was for the people of his time to say that God is his father. Not just that, that we're sons and daughters of the king. So this morning, I want to do this. I want to, I want to, try, to try to encapsulate what Jesus was so passionate about. And I want, to, I want to do this. I want to get to the root of the problem. I don't want to just speak to the surface stuff. That's easy. But I want to get to the depths of our issues. I want to get to the disease that needs to be cured. So this morning, I'm not going to be talking to just fathers. And I, I, I'm not going to be talking to just dads here today. If you're here and you're a lady and you're like, man, I'm not going to get anything out of this. Don't worry, you will. Well, if you, if you want to, I guess. But, the, but here's what I'm, I'm trying to say. I want to speak to sons and daughters this morning. On Father's Day, I want to speak to sons and daughters this morning. So look to your neighbor and say, this message is for you. Oh, you guys are quiet. You guys are quiet. Yo, I'm, li I'm used to some. Can I, who's the amen guy here? Do we got an amen guy or gal? Where are you? Right here? I'm waiting for you. Anybody else? Kathy, I know you can do it too. John Lonneville, he's probably the most loudest person I've ever met. No, it's not true. If you, got, if you can, turn to your Bibles to Luke 15. Luke 15. And when I say Luke 15, listen, some of you are already okay. All right. Some of you Christians in the room are like, I know what he's talking about. The prodigal son. And maybe you're already trying to write it off saying you know how this is going to go. I believe that the Lord has something specific for all of us here today that's applicable for all of us. Um, I do feel like 
sometimes as Christians, we'll read through some passage, or if you're reading your Bibles, and you'll sometimes you skip over stuff. And there's so much there. Can I tell you today? There's so much in the Word of God that can come, that He can speak, and He can give to you things that you may have never seen. And today, I just wondered if we could just pray, just for the Lord to speak to us in this time, that we would be open. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are so blessed on this day to know that you are our perfect Father. And Lord, as I know that there will be some in this room that did not have perfect fathers, Lord, I pray that this would be an eye-opening experience, Lord. That they would know their true place as sons and daughters of the King. Lord, that they would know deep inside their bones their identity and who they are. I pray, Lord, that you would right now start breaking down the walls that we've put up, start breaking down the things that we've had, and Lord, we're asking right now that you speak clearly through your word. Lord, bless, bless these people, I pray, and bless this message in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Let's read this, Luke 15. Uh, we're going to start in verse 11. Again, we've titled this, I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible, when these things were written, there weren't their, uh, you know, the, the sections that we add. We, we've called this the prodigal son what I'd like to rather say is this is the prodigal sons. There's two sons. So picking up in verse 11, you'll see where I'm going. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and squandered all his wealth on wild living. I call that Living La Vida Loca. Remember that song? Living La Vida Loca. He was doing it. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. When he, he, he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed his pigs, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. I wouldn't wait for somebody to give it to me. I would just take it from the pigs, but I don't know. That's the younger son, right? <laughs> Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, man, this is what he's saying to himself, how many, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set back and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So verse 20, he got up and he went to the father. And it says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. I love that song, Run to the Father, and I got to give you Props, Pastor John, for not doing good, good father today, which is what every other church in the area is doing. But that song, Run to the Father, some of y'all need to hear this this morning, that he's running to you. That he's running to you. I want you to run to the Father too, but the truth is that our Heavenly Father is running to us. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now we get to the older son. It says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. The servant said, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he he answered his father, Look, this is what... (laughs) He answered his father, look. I got to say right now, in my house growing up, you didn't say look to your dad. You'd be greeted with a swift smack to the face, right? He says, look. <laughs> All these years I've been slaving for you, and I, I've, I haven't even disobeyed any of your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But then when this son of yours, I like that one too. He's got some attitude here, man. When this son of yours, who has squandered all your property with prostitutes, like he just calls it straight out. I mean, living living in a loca, right? You killed the fattened calf for him? And the father says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours who was dead, he's alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. Amen, right? This, this parable is so jam-packed with stuff that I could preach. I literally, I told John, I could preach a three-part sermon series. If you want me to come back for the next two weeks, I could. But for those of you who don't know what this is all about, Jesus is telling this parable, which is like a story, and he's telling this, it's like a story with a, with a message, with a lesson in it, and he's giving this parable to some religious people that are upset with him because he's hanging out with tax collectors and notorious sinners, as the Bible says. And Jesus gives this, and he gives two other stories uh, right beforehand, two other parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin, and now here's the, last, the lost son. Because these religious people, they were upset about the, the criti- they were criticizing Jesus for ministering and loving to Gentiles. Obviously, we can see already, you can start forming why Jesus gave this story about the two sons. But on this morning, I want to, I want to uncover something that maybe you haven't seen before or maybe you've never thought of. I want to uncover the lies that these two sons believed. We could talk about the surface stuff, but let's go into really the depths of who these young men were. Some people say that this is a parable that never happened. Other historians have said this is actually a true thing that happened. Either way, the message is real, and I believe that the Lord has something for us. We've called this the parable of the prodigal son, but like I said before, both of these sons were lost. Both of these sons had unhealthy things that they believed. And today, I want to highlight those things. So let's look at the the younger son. The younger son had what I call, and uh, Jack Frost would call, an orphan 
spirit. If you don't know Jack Frost, he's a, he, he was an awesome speaker, an awesome preacher. He, ran, uh, he was a teacher that ran Shiloh Place Ministries out of North Myrtle Beach. And out of that, he's all about the Father. He wrote a great book called uh, Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. I want you to check out that book whenever you can get a chance. But right here, this younger son has an orphan spirit. And what do I mean by that? An orphan spirit is somebody who has parents. They have biological parents, but they act as if they don't have biological parents. Another word, and I'm sorry if this is too crass, but it's an actual word that we've kind of ruined. It's bastard, a bastard spirit. Someone, that, that would be someone who doesn't know their dad or doesn't have a relationship with their dad. But here in this circumstance, this son did. He, he had a father. He had a dad, but he was running his life as if he didn't have a father. He was running through his life like he didn't have a purpose and that he didn't have enough and that he wouldn't be enough. Let's look at verse 12. Here's what it says. When I just read, the younger one came to him and said, Father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of the estate. That is such a very small thing, but there's so much packed into that. Because here's, here's what he's saying. He is saying, it's not just that he's greedy. Some people like to go, oh, well, the son was just greedy. Again, that's just surface talk. So we're going to go deeper. What he's saying to his dad in that moment is, you know what? That money I'm supposed to get when you die, I want it now. And what he's really saying to his father is, you're dead to me. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. Sounds like an orphan. It's a young man who is saying to his father, you're dead to me, I can do this all on my own. And this is one of the key components to an orphan spirit. It's somebody who feels like they have to do it on their own because they don't think that they're enough and they don't think they have enough. What a better example than the prodigal son. He didn't identify as a son and because of his orphan spirit, he severed a relationship with his father. When I was a little whippersnapper, can you imagine... Whew, I found a card from my dad today that said, um, Dad, I'm sorry about all the gray hairs that I gave you growing up, but can you imagine what it's like for all those men who are really, really bald? What was it like for their children? What did they do? I don't know. Pastor John, what did your kids do to you? I'm not sure. But I got in an argument with my parents. I can't remember what it was. It was something ridiculous, um, as they always were. I was probably 11 or 12 years old. And we get in this argument, and finally, what every father says, I don't care who they are, every father says this, if you're going to live under my house, you're going to live under my How many have heard their parents say that to you before? So, my dad says to me that you're going to live, I'm you know, 10, 11 years old, here's what I did. Fine, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. So I, I scurry upstairs, and I bring out my Jansport backpack, and I start giving the essentials of living, right? I'm going to do this on my own. All right, where's that Twinkie stash? All right, grab the Twinkies, the Ho-Hos. We need nourishment, right? Only the essentials, right? So, of course, I had to get the pair of jeans and socks, and one pair of underwear is really four because you, you, can, you can flip them around, then you can turn them inside out and do it all over again. So that's four. 
So I'm getting all my stuff together and packing up this bag. You know, I got to have my Game Boy and I got to have my Walkman, you know, the, that I've recorded on a, on, a, on a radio and hit, you know, the record button and the play button at the same time so I could have all my music. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm working all this out in my head. I'm leaving. So I get out, I get to the door and I got my backpack, which is the equivalent of probably having a stick with a handkerchief in it with your things, you know. And I yell at my parents. I'm like, you'll miss me when I'm gone. You'll miss me when I'm gone. And my dad said, good luck. <laughs> so I went on this long journey to the backyard, to the woods behind my parents' house where I could just see them, but I didn't think if they could see me. And I sat there, and I started making camp, and I started making my little, my little hut and then I realized that all the Twinkies were gone. And it's, and it's been about a half hour, and I'm wondering how I'm going to live. If anybody's ever watched The Office, this was like when he did the Survivor episode, and he gets out there, he starts doing ridiculous things. That was me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm contemplating all the things like this prodigal son. I'm thinking about all this. I was just like him. I could do it on my own. I don't need you. I don't need you. I can do it on my own. Unlike the prodigal son, I returned home within an hour, right? And my parents weren't even like, they didn't run to me. I'm going to tell you that right now. They didn't see me coming. They, they went, oh, here he comes again. Okay, Josh is home. See, the, un, the unfortunate truth is, is that all of us in this room have a sinful tendency to look to God and say, I don't need you. That I can do it on my own. We have this idea of a of feeling like, I can do this, but I don't need you. But it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. I believe that all of the emotional, physical, and spiritual dysfunction that's in our society can be traced back to humans feeling alienated from God and their biological fathers. Orphan men have a hard time connecting with their spouses, children, they lose, they lose spiritual authority, and they can't, even, they can't even look to anybody in a place of authority without issues and supervisors. They have a hard time accepting themselves and loving themselves. And in fact, right now, there's presently millions of incarcerated men who are acting their lives out in violence and rebellion because their earthly fathers have abandoned them. I got this quote for you. And I will give you, I made a bet with Nick about him. He had a raccoon, this whole story about a raccoon. I lost the bet. He caught the raccoon. I'm going to make another bet. If anybody can do it, the first person who can tell me who said this quote, you'll get $10. I'll Venmo it to you after the service, okay? Tell me who said this quote. Here it is. We all know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from the home or become teenage parents themselves, and the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. Any guesses? Except for those who already know, like my wife. You can't, you can't say it. Who, what you, you're very close. It was Barack Obama. 
15 years ago, he gave this message. Can I tell you right now, this message that he gave, I listened to it last night, totally recommend it. This speech he gave in Chicago before he became president, you will listen to it and you will say, I agree with all of that. But if you said it in today's day and age, you would be canceled. He, he, you would be canceled. Not only is he talking about the issues of a fatherless generation, he's also saying how vitally important are fathers to our society. Today, we don't even know what a, what a dad is anymore. So I look at this and say, Barack Obama knows what the problem is. I'm going to tell you right now, I think everybody knows what the problem is. That's why I think revival's coming. I think it's coming. Because the enemy of our souls understands this. He understands the importance of fathers because he understands the importance of our heavenly father. He knows how important God is and him as our father spiritually to our lives. So that's why he attacks biological fathers. That's why he's trying to remove fathers from the home. That's because if he can sever the relationship between a son and a dad in the biological earthly sense, then it's a lot easier for him to sever the relationship between somebody and their father God. He will have an easier path to do this. And this is how this, this comes, this orphan spirit, because he's lying to us. Let me give you these statistics. In 1960, five percent of the American children who entered into the world, five percent of them were, were born of a father and a mother that did not live in the same home. Uh, so, so in other words, they were not married. They were not together in the same home. That was five percent in 1960. In 1980, it went up to 18 percent. By 2000, it was 33 percent. And 15 years later, the number had reached 41 percent. It's undeniable that we have a father issue, is it? How about this? You know, you're probably thinking, well, that's out in the world. How about the church? <laughs> Get this. In July of 2011, God the Father, that phrase, God the Father was banished by the United Church of Christ to leave the doctrinal, doctrinal uh, position more open for different expressions of the Trinity. So they took out father. You know why? Because some people have father issues. And they're like, well, I don't see God as my father. I see him as my mother. So they're like, okay, we'll just take it out. The truth is, even though you don't see him as your father, he is your heavenly father. And he is perfect, unlike your earthly father. I'm sorry, dads. We're never going to be perfect. Children, if you got issues with your parents, join the club. We're all in it because our earthly fathers are only trying to mimic like what they're supposed to do. We're trying our best, but there are no perfect earthly fathers. And then, how about this? United Methodist Church in Minnesota, uh, they, they have an annual conference. And when they had this in 2018, they edited out the historic Apostles' Creed. And they removed the references to God as Father. They took out Father and they put Creator. Is it true that he's your creator? Absolutely. But there's a reason why we look at him as a father is because we need him. These are direct attacks, not only on our earthly fathers. These are attacks on the true father, our father in heaven. See, the enemy of our souls wants us to believe that we're not sons and daughters. He wants us to believe that we're orphans. He wants us to believe that I don't have enough and I will never be enough. He wants us to do that. One of the ways he does it is through comparison game. The pick comparison game. I think it's important to remember here that this younger son, he was only going to receive one-third of his father's inheritance. That was the commonality, sometimes even less than that, maybe a quarter. So he's probably thinking here, 
he's getting more than I'm getting. I don't know, any, any younger siblings here ever look at your older siblings and think they're so perfect, they do everything great. Mom and dad love them, I can't do, anybody? I'm the older sibling, so I am perfect, right? Um, now come on. I don't think it's a, a stretch to say that this young man was playing this comparison game. He's looking at the older father and, or the older brother and saying, man, he never screws up. He always shows up on the work at time. He's got good grades. Even the teachers like him. It's like my oldest daughter. I went on a field trip with her to Darien Lake, and all the teachers love my daughter. I'm like, that ain't me. She got that from Jess, right? But he's doing this comparison game. He's thinking, man, he never got in trouble, and he's got more money coming in. So he did what any other orphan would do. He would do that. He played a comparison game, and he got to the conclusion, I'm not enough. I don't have enough. i got to take matters into my own hands. It reminds me of some of those tragic stories of adoption where a parent will, a mom and dad will adopt an orphan. They'll bring in that child into their home. In great homes, right? Because when they do adoption, for the most part, it's a really good home. And this child who's been raised as an orphan, the problem, what they find is they start seeing all, these, all this food. They find hordes of food in their, in their rooms, in their closets, under their bed, that they take the things that they had, and they're stuffing it in locations. And you know why? It's because they still see themselves as an orphan. They have a mom and dad who've adopted them as sons or daughters, but they don't feel like they're a son and daughter, and they don't trust their, bio, their new parents. So they feel as if that they're, they're not. It's such a sad story, but I think it's a reflection of where we can end up. See, we have to be careful that we don't end up in the same boat. An orphan spirit believes in the lie that they're not enough, but a son rests in the fact that they are deeply loved by their father, and through him they are enough, and they will always be enough. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. The next thing I want to draw your attention to is the older brother. So you can imagine in the story when Jesus is telling this to these religious officials, you can imagine them being like, ha-ha, prodigal son, that's him. Yeah, disgusting, sleeping with pigs. That's totally him, right? And then when he flips it to the father running towards him, and then he even flips it more to tell him the story about the, the older brother. But let's look. In uh, verse 25, you'll see, I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit. The younger son came home after blowing all his money. The older son is out in the fields working. And he's out there working. He hears the music. And I don't know about you, but I just can picture him. His blood is starting to boil. What is this music? And then when he tells him that your your brother who, who left a while ago and squandered all the money, you thought he was dead? Yeah, he's back. And I would be excited. I mean, my brother drives me crazy too. But I would be excited that my brother's home. But he doesn't have that. It says when the old, he became angry. And he refused to go to the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he, he just, like I said, he said, look. 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 He's angry. He's upset. And in verse 29, to reveal something to where his condition is. What he believed about himself. The lie that he had. The elder brother was dealing with a slave mentality, a, sl- a spiritual slavery. He believed that he was, he was a slave. How do I know that? Okay, look, verse 29, he says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. That's not the heart of a son. That's a heart of, that is a heart of a slave. I've never disobeyed your orders. 
See, instead of the truth that he was a son and loved deeply by the father, he believed in a lie that he had to earn his worth. That he had to earn his worth for the father to love him. And then after some time, the older son started caring more about the do than the who. He cared more about the things he was doing than who he was doing it for. Over time, he's become obsessed with the work that he's lost sight of who he's working for. And the relationship is obviously severed at this point. Don't forget that Jesus' audience, again, are religious officials. They're religious people, religious Pharisees who looked at all of this stuff. They thought they were the older son who got it all together. They, he is literally telling them their hearts that I've never, ever screwed up. Why let that person in? I've never screwed up. I've never disobeyed. I didn't spend money on frivolous things like prostitutes. I'm the good son. That's how they felt. But I have to tell you, they were just as lost as the younger son who left the home. The older brother couldn't see the love that his father had for his younger brother because the older brother didn't see the love that God had for him. Can I get an amen? amen. I know this is heavy. But this is, this is where we're at as a society. This is where we're at sometimes is that we're looking at the, we're looking at the work we do. What do I mean by that? The church work you do. When you come up here and lead worship or you're do, serving in the nursery, are you serving because you have to, because you want to make God happy? Or are you serving because you love him and you want, you want to bless him? The older brother was only seeing his value when it was attached to work. And he didn't see himself as a, as a son who the father loved him. See, when we look at ourselves merely as slaves instead of sons and daughters, we get caught up in religious works and rules and laws and regulations, things so we look pretty on the outside. I think it's interesting that in the very next chapter we read about Jesus, he's talking to these religious people. He says, yeah, you look all great on the outside, but you're nothing but a whitewashed tomb. You look great on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. He's calling out the, the son who was in the house of the father, but his heart wasn't. He, listen, God wants to make his home in you, but you got to make your home in him. You, listen, you can be, this is, a, this is free, not even in my notes. You, you could be in the house of God and be a Christian, know the Lord, and still be in bondage to something. This son was in the home of the father. He had all of the wealth. He had all of the authority. He had everything he needed under the Father. But he saw himself as a slave. Therefore, he was still in bondage. He thought he was great. He thought he was good. I think it's interesting when, when, when Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he tells us that we are co-workers in God's service co-laborers in him. And, and sometimes he says, like, hey, listen, I might, I might water this, and this guy, might, this guy might do this, but we're co-laborers. We're with Christ. We're doing this with the Lord. And, he's, and that's what the, the whole purpose is, is that we're doing this with God. Yes, we, we, we serve him. We do those things, but we're serving alongside of the Lord. It's a different mentality. It reminds me of when I was a kid, and my dad would have me I don't know how many of you, my dad would be working in the garage and I'd come out and be like, hey dad, I want to help. And he gave me a really important job. 
like one of the most important jobs ever. I was the light boy. You know what I mean by the light boy? Hey, hold this light. And that was my only job, to hold that light. And I'm holding, oh, not that way, okay. And I, I don't know, I didn't change the way I was holding the light, but I, apparently he always thought I was moving it around or something, like it was a strobe show. Strobe light show. No, so I'm doing these things, but all I wanted to do, all I wanted to do was be with my dad. I know that that job is stupid. You all know that job's stupid. It's like when my kids ask me to help me something in the house, and I know they can't help me, so I give them a task like holding a light. It's like they, just, they don't care. They just want to be there. It's not about the work. It's about being with the Father. This is what I believe that God's desire is for us. It's just like me holding a light for my dad. He wants us to be more about the who than the do. When it becomes like that, because when we have it flipped and it's more about the do than the who, we start like striving for affirmation, this affirmation that was already found in Christ, that's already found in the Father. He loves you right now. He loves you. But when you, you're thinking of yourself as a slave, you start looking for affirmation. You start looking for where am I going to get the thing that tells me I'm doing a good job. Even though it's already found in the Lord, if you don't have that mentality, you start looking for it in other places. This is how we get to the place. Thank God not here. I'm promising. John, Pastor John's my best friend. It's not him. But I'm saying in the, in the culture of churches, this is why we have so many pastors who are serving, trying to get admiration, trying to get affirmation, and they're going out and they're destroying their churches because the churches cannot fill the need of the Father. No one can fill the need, that whole size that you have that wants affirmation and adoration. Nothing can fill that hole. Not money, not success, not, not status, nothing can do that. Not even your spouse can fill that hole. It's too big. The Father has already filled that hole, but we have to come into the understanding of who we are as sons and daughters. This is why I believe <clears throat> that we shouldn't slave away and do all these things, because those are things, you'll be like, I'm doing better, I'm doing better. We love to look good on the outside. We love to look good on the outside. That's why I got a haircut, y'all. I, I wanted to look good. You look good, you play good, you preach good, right? That's how that thing works. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to look good. But when it comes to the point, you know what it's like? You got, some of you all got a huge fight with your spouse on the way here. Huge fight with your spouse. Your kids were driving you crazy. Maybe you said a cuss word, and then you're like, oh, and then you get into the door. You're like, greetings, brother. <laughs> greetings, brother. Listen, I totally understand. I mean, listen, we want, we want to present ourselves well, but there comes this point where we're always looking to try to look like the older son, the one who's got it all together. And you know what's funny is I don't think God is, I don't think that father was surprised. I think he knew all along where his son's heart was. Yeah, he was in the home, but his heart wasn't there. See, that younger son believed the lie that he was an orphan, so he left the house. But the brother, the older brother, stayed in the home, but he didn't even see himself in the home. I want to end with this. This morning, I, the message is clear and simple. You are not an orphan. You are not a slave. You are a son and daughter of the king. Paul says this, and he says this in Romans. <laughs> You're going to love this. Joss, you can come up. This is fine. 
I've gone too long. Romans 8.15. He says, The spirit you have received does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you have received brought you brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. When Paul wrote this, he was writing to the Romans, the church in Rome. And they totally understood what he was saying, and we don't. We don't have a really firm grasp on this. But here's what was happening in the church in Rome, in, in that society. There would be, um, let's say, a prominent person in that society, and they felt, they felt like, hey, huh. They felt like, hey, I need a son, and we've only had daughters, or we couldn't have children. So what they did is these, these, these prominent people would adopt a son or a daughter, sometimes a daughter too, would adopt them, would adopt them from a home already with a mom and dad. And these kids were probably in their teenage years. They didn't adopt babies. They were adopting, at that time, adults. And though, here's, here's the thing. When they adopted them, they would pay a price they would pay a price to that other family. And then they would come under that home. Even though they were born of a different one, they were adopted as sons or daughters, and they got all of the, they got all of the wealth. They got all the status. They got all of the authority. They got everything that the person who adopted them into, that family, they received that all like that. Paul's saying the same thing to us. That you might not feel like a son, but you're a son. You might not feel like a daughter, but you're a daughter. And listen, fathers, we are going to do way better if we can understand who we are as sons. I know it's easy for us to get all messed up and start looking into other ways. And, oh, maybe if I do this or I have this. And that's good. I'm not saying don't try but we should be pursuing the Father. We should be pursuing Him, and that's in that secret place with you and the Lord is where you will become a better dad. It's where you'll become a better mom because you will be, you will be overflowing from what came into you and the words that He's spoken to you. I don't know where you're at, if you feel more like an orphan tonight or to this morning, or if you feel like a slave. But Jesus is showing us a better way. He even said, I won't leave you as orphans. He promised his disciples that. And just like those, those Roman officials adopting, there was a price paid. There was a price paid by Jesus. He said, I am the only way to the Father. No one else comes to him but through me. I don't know if you're feeling like an orphan today or if you're feeling like a slave. But I believe that the Lord is telling us all today that you are a son. You are a daughter. Let's pray this morning. Father, on this Father's Day in 2023, we are declaring today that we are sons and daughters of the perfect Father in heaven. Lord, I pray right now for those in this room who have been let down by a dad on this, on this planet. Lord, I pray right now that you start ministering to them as the perfect father. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come right now in comfort. I feel like the Lord's saying this to somebody. You've held on to forgiveness a little too long. 
or unforgiveness. You've held on to this unforgiveness for too long. And you're thinking, I feel like this is somebody here. You're thinking, I can't forgive my dad. I can't forgive him because if I forgive him, I'm saying what he did was okay. And I feel like the Lord's saying to somebody this morning, you forgiving your father isn't saying that it's, not, it's okay. It's not excusing his behavior or his, what he did or what he didn't do. You forgiving your dad is saying, I'm not going to let that hold me back from going to my true father. See it for what it is, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That he's trying to rip you, like he may have used your father in a negative way, but the real reason he's doing that is because he wants to keep you from getting to your true father in heaven. He wants to keep that barrier. So right now in the name of Jesus, let's just, if that's you, I don't know where you are, maybe you just need to put yourself into a position to receive from the Lord. Maybe just hold your hands out like this and say, God, will you come fill me up with your love that you have for me? Some of you have been told so many lies that that's what you need to deconstruct is the lies that you've learned, the lies you've been told about yourself. That's the true deconstruction that needs to happen. And start reconstructing with what the Father says about you, that you are loved, that you are cared for, that you have enough. The younger son thought he wasn't going to be enough. He didn't think he had enough. But he finally came to his senses. The older, the older brother thought that he could never do enough. There's nothing you can do. He loves you. So pursue him with everything you've got. Lord, we want to do that. Help us, Lord. Lord, we know this is not just a, okay, I got it. This is an everyday thing. So tomorrow morning when our heads come off that pillow, Lord, I pray that you would start speaking to us, that we would start pursuing you. Lord, the challenge that we really need is not just to become better dads. The challenge, Lord, is that we need to get to know you better. Help us do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you so much. We will never be the fathers that God has called us to be until we learn to be, be a son in Christ and our identity is firmly rooted in him. Uh, we bless you guys this morning. Have an awesome rest of your Father's Day and we'll see you next week.